you guys stand up with us?
Sovereign, my greatest joy, Sovereign, my deepest cry, with me in the dark, with me at the dawn. In your everlasting arms, all the pieces of God, whatever. 
Father, we just thank you so much for this morning, Lord, that you've given us. God, we thank you that your love never fails, Lord, that your net love will never run out. God, um, this morning um, we lay aside any cares of the past week or the coming week, Lord, and we just give you this time, Lord, um, to speak to us, Lord, to speak through Pastor Judd, God, and um, just uh, open up our hearts what you would have for us. In Jesus' name. Be seated. Kids, you're dismissed to Children's Church. I've never been more encouraged on a Sunday morning. Sunday school, phenomenal. Announcements. Man, I want to lead the youth ministry. That was well done. Thank you. And then singing. And then our boy right there, Garrett, you go home, you rest. He, I was looking up a verse during songs, he came in season and he is definitely out of season. He does not feel well. He's going home to rest his voice in his body. We'll pray for you, all right? Well, we are going through a series uh, in Galatians, but before we get there, I wanted to make you aware of two articles I found this week. We've been talking a lot about the gospel. We've been talking a lot about faith. And you may be thinking to yourself, great, but what about good works? Good question. I know you're thinking it, so I'm going to talk about there's an article out there on one of our founding father, Ben Franklin, that famous picture, and it's called Redoubling Failing Efforts. And it's literally about Ben Franklin. If you look on the back, he had a, like a golfer's scorecard on seven different vices that he would always check himself each week. And he, he just got miserable because he had to keep erasing them. And He never once acknowledged Jesus. He always understood that there was some greater power, but never once acknowledged Jesus. And he goes to his grave wondering, did he ever do good enough? So our our founding father needed a good dose of the gospel, that he's saved by grace through faith, and then that compels us to do good works. Because this week, why then must we still do good? If it's all about grace and it's all about God working through us, then why do we do good works? And he gives us five reasons, fruit, gratitude, glory, assurance, and conversion, that we bear the fruits of the Spirit, we are thankful to God, He gets the glory, we're assured, and the world is converted. Amen? That's a nice uh, summary of why we do what we do. And uh, today, we're going, today and next week, we will finish up the series in Galatians. And uh, I wanted to just kind of review the whole book for you, in case you're just joining us today or you've missed a few weeks. Here's the book in a shot. Uh, The first section is more of Paul's experience. The second section is theology. And then it gets into how do we apply uh, theology to our life. And so you see the gospel in the first nine verses and then the gospel in you, that none of us here need to fear man because we have greater is he who is in us than he is in the world. And we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. We don't need to fear man. Then the gospel in us, we have to work together. Uh, when we do that, though, we see the gospel in sin, that sin often uh, pervades our relationships. It's in our lives, and so we need to deal with it. How do we do that? It's through faith, the first five verses of chapter 3. And then we spend a whole week in a thick handout, the gospel and the law. It is not just about obeying more. It's about trusting first, and then comes obedience. And from that, we see we are truly free. We're the most, of all people in the world, we're the most free. If there is a Christian in a foreign country who's held in a prisoner's camp for his belief, that person is more free uh, than the person here who has all the money in the world 
and nobody to tell them what to do. Do you believe that? We are free. We are free because we have the power of the Spirit, the gospel and the Spirit. That's what we touched on last week. We have the third person in the Trinity residing in our lives. He is in us and he is with us. That's what God said. That's what Jesus said in the Gospels. And so today we're looking at the gospel and community. And next week we'll finish with the gospel and mission. Uh, If the gospel and the law was the most intellectual, the most heady, the most Difficult maybe to get our heads around conceptually. Today, uh, this is the thorny text of Galatians. You've kind of got bits and pieces of it uh, over the past few weeks uh, where Paul said, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you you are not consumed by one another. But now he's really going to get into that. and This is the toughest relationally. And so I'm coming with less prophet and more pastor today. Uh, The issue we're going to talk about today is accountability within community. It's something I think we can can grow at, grow together uh, individually as a church. I think the entire church of Jesus Christ across this culture uh, can grow in the area of how does accountability fit within community. And I want to begin with a uh, humorous... Uh, video, which you will catch quickly of all the wrong when it comes to accountability.
Needless to say, that was a spoof on accountability, what not to do. Uh, We could probably spend an entire Sunday school class talking about everything wrong with that video. Uh, It's not about a formula, five easy steps to accountability, uh, but it's about committing to um, helping each person, helping every person in your life that you are close to grow in Christ-likeness. And so today we're going to talk about it. It's a tough issue. We need it. It's necessary. It's essential. It's something we shouldn't live without. But we don't just drift towards accountability. Uh, We drift towards uh, mediocrity. We drift away from all things that are godly. That's how life apart from the Spirit works. But as we saw last week, we have the Spirit. And even so, within us, there are some days we don't want accountability. We fight against it. Uh, We know what's best for us. We know uh, what we need to do. We don't need anybody peering into our lives Uh, We don't need anyone telling us, here's how you do it. But it's something we must pursue. Uh, We must wage war against the flesh. There are no such things as Lone Ranger Christians. And we must make use of this idea of accountability. And it really falls within community. And uh, that's what I want to talk about today. Something that last week, uh, Eric Wardell was here sharing with us some things about Alaska last week. And he said it in passing. I remember he did it. It was right at the beginning of his presentation. It's almost... Uh, we didn't give it a second thought, but it stuck out to me. He said, in Alaska, they are almost forced to do community together because it's so tight-knit and there's not a whole lot there for them. And he says, we don't do that here. And he just moved on. But it hit me. You're right. He said it was hard for them to do it there. And he said, we don't do it here. It's true. We, We live, let me say it pastorally and not prophetically, We live very private lives. We really do. And this is one area we can grow in. Um, Just a couple questions to get you thinking about community. Because community, if it's done right, honestly, it's messy. It's messy. Who really knows you outside your family? Who really knows you outside your family? Who have you confessed your sins to outside your family? And if you're confessing your sins to someone outside your family, if that someone isn't in this body, this little body that the Lord has given us, I would reason that we don't have true biblical community according to Galatians 5, 26 through the first part of chapter 6. Something to consider. Um, Been here for four and a half years. And I believe I've rightly discerned it. By the Spirit of God, through prayer, we live uber-private lives. And they didn't. They didn't get that luxury in the New Testament. So let's look at the text. I will pray, and then we will... I'll read it in full. I will pray, and then we'll just break it down. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 26. Uh, Here's the overview, if you want to... I skipped over that. Here's the overview of what is going to be here in just a few seconds. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, 
And then you will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Uh, the overview of that looks like this. The root of true community is, we'll see our humble hearts. The fruit of true community is helping hands. Not only are we personally responsible, but we are corporately accountable to one another. The first part deals with the gospel seed, spirit in our lives. The second part deals with spiritual growth. Father, um, guard my words. This is your Bible. It is true and without error. And this is an area where I and everyone I know can grow in one way or another. Pray that you would bless this time together. You would take your word and by the power of the Spirit, those areas of our lives that need to be hit would be hit. uh, Not with some sort of electronic charge, but with the gospel of grace. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we end chapter 5 with a principle. Let us not become boastful. How? I think the New American Standard shows it best. There are two ways that we can become boastful. One is pretty obvious. The other is not so obvious, but you'll see it nonetheless. Let us not become boastful. He gives you two ways. One, we challenge one another, challenging one another, or boastful, envying one another. If you're here and you have the blessed King James Version, it says, let us not be full of vain glory. Vainglory, it's this idea of quickly passing honor. Vainglory is when we try to honor ourselves and we, we do it in two ways. There are two ways uh, to try to gain quickly passing false honor. There's the superior thinking where we challenge one another, not challenge in a good way, but it's almost, as the ESV says, it's provoking one another. It's, it's arrogance. It's, it's I'm better than all y'all. There's another way we do it. It's inferior thinking. It's envy. It's, it's full of pity. It, it's I'm worse than all you all. That's how we become boastful. And Paul says, let, let, let us not do that. Uh, they're both prideful. They're both absorbed with self. One is more visible than another. I'll give you an example. There's such things as hot anger and cold anger. You see the hot angry people. They get uh, pursed lips. They get flushed in the face. You often don't see, but you can feel the cold, angry people. And there's still anger underneath there. It's just cold. And so there's such thing as hot pride. It's ugly. It's, it's, you see it every Sunday if you watch a professional sport of just look at me. I'm the greatest at whatever sport I'm in. But there's also this cold pride that may go uh, unnoticed. It's called self-pity. It's, it's, it's full of envy as Paul says there. Uh, and Kevin DeYoung, actually Justin Taylor, says we should be vigilant against self-pity when it spots like grand, gangrene on our heart. Nothing good comes from feeling sorry for myself when people don't like my ideas or misjudge my motives or forget all the good I've done in the past. He says crying out to God is, is one thing, a very good thing to do, but self-pity is not that. Self-pity is crying out in the echo chamber of my own little world. It's issuing a lament just to take pleasure in hearing the lament over and over. 
And another pastor went and kind of compared these two just to show you that the root of both of these things, this challenging one another, this envying one another, this being provoking or being full of pity and envy, boasting is the response of pride to success. It says, look at me. Self-pity is the response to the pride of suffering. It says, woe is me. Boasting says, I deserve admiration because I've achieved so much. Self-pity says, I deserve admiration because I've suffered so much. Boasting is the voice of pride in the heart of the strong. Self-pity is the voice of pride in the heart of the weak. Boasting sounds self-sufficient. Self-pity sounds self-sacrificing. This pastor goes on to say the reason self-pity does not look like pride is it appears to be so needy. But the need arises from a wounded ego. It doesn't come from a sense of unworthiness, but from a sense of unrecognized worthiness. It is the response of unapplauded pride. And so the root of true community for all of us to live in true community where there is the proper um, proper connection of accountability in this congregation, in all congregations that love the Lord Jesus Christ, is humility. Humility. John Stott said, pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. C.S. Lewis said, on the really humble man, he will not even be thinking about humility. He won't even be thinking about himself at all. Pride is the aspiring to the state or position of God and refusing to acknowledge our dependence on him, both in the boastful and the pitiful. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and sinfulness. One guy says the noble choice to forego status, this humility is to deploy our resources, what God has given us, to influence others for good. It's the willingness to hold power in service for others. And so we need to be a humble people, not a prideful people. And pride can show up in the arrogant statements and pride can show up in the uh, not so um, obvious, but still arrogant, pitiful statements. We need to be humble and we can't be humble on our own. In fact, some of us had to get thrown out of Jeeps, ride reverse in trucks, uh, had to get pretty much dumped out on the streets in Texas, in Colorado, in Dallas, because we weren't very bendable, and God had to break us. Some of us were more responsive to the call of God, and it wasn't as dramatic, but all of us, if we were followers of Jesus, had to come to the point in our life where we bowed our knee and we said, I am no longer in control. To recognize, I've never really been in control. And that's the first step towards the humble heart, the heart that God's remaking, that gives him all the glory and we get all the joy. And if we are truly a humble people, let me, can I show you eight things? These are not eight things I came up with, but these are eight good things of what humility is. Humility is logical. If we think about it, it's common sense. Uh, None of us is the expert at everything. I don't know a whole lot about bugs. You do. So I'm going to talk to you about bugs. I'm going to talk to you about things you know about that I don't know about. It's logical. It's beautiful. It's attractive. When you see humility, you're pulled towards it. It's historical. This is absolutely beautiful. Humility up until the cross of Christ was looked down upon. 
If you go do the history of the word humility, it was a negative concept until Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he what? He humbled himself. And from that point on, in history, you can look at it in the records of history, humility changed from a negative word to a positive word. It's historical. The cross of Christ reversed the negative persona. And humility is practical. To learn something new, you have to be humble enough to say, I don't know. And it's influential. It's persuasive. You and I are more willing to accept a lesser argument from somebody who's humble than a tighter argument from somebody who's prideful. It's inspirational. It it compels us towards greater things. It's musical. When it's done well, you see it and it's almost harmonious. And it's possible. Look at 1 Peter 5. God calls us to do it. God will enable us to do it. He says, and all of you, he's just talked to the elders. He's just talked to the young men. And then he says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's a, it should be the Christian's daily attire, and it's always trendy. And the idea of God's opposition there is one of a boxer. I don't want to box with God. Humility. That's the root of true community. That's how you and I will uh, spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so he's going to show you the fruits here in these five verses. In first one of chapter six, brethren, it's a family deal. Brothers and sisters, it's a, it's a family-oriented concept, this concept of community, this concept of accountability. If anyone is caught in any trespass, caught, it literally means actually caught, like you catch the kid in the cookie jar and they just look at you like, oh no, what do I do now? Or it's the idea of being trapped, that you see someone, they're trapped and there's foot is in this trap and they can't get out. It says, you who are spiritual. Let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean the deeper, higher life. Because look at the context. This comes right off Galatians 5, 15 through 25, where it says, walk by the Spirit. If you began in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. He says, you who are spiritual, this is ordinary Christianity. This is ordinary Christianity. This is not just uh, achieved by monks and nuns. This is all of us. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. It's mending what is broken. That's the idea of that word restore. It's taking the broken bone and mending it. And it's doing it as a doctor would with good bedside manner. We've all, well, maybe not all, maybe some of you have been to a doctor where there wasn't just good bedside manner expert in his field or her field, but they just didn't deliver it with a spirit of gentleness, making you not want to come back. I remember uh, my daughter, age two, uh, fell backwards in the chair, broke her sweet little foot. We took her to a doctor and will never return to such a one because he was not, he had no bedside manner. Sure, he helped in mending, but it wasn't with the spirit of gentleness. I remember when I was young, I have a scar right here on my elbow and uh, had a doctor uh, take my radial head and had enough to keep it, but he had to replace it. And when I came to, he he was gentle. He said, you're going to be sore because I had to restore your bone. 
But to make sure it wouldn't fall out again, I tried to break it. <laughs> I was like, thanks. But he didn't let me know you're going to be sore for the next couple days. And so that's what we should do. We should restore such a one, the one caught with a spirit of gentleness. Each one, here's how we do that. Look into yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Uh, Jude 23 says, we snatch some out of the fire, understanding not to even be stained by the garment. Now I want to show you something as we conclude this verse. Notice what it says here. Let's read it real slowly because these words, these um, help us understand how we relate to one another. Coming off the root of humility, the fruit is if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who walk by the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit, ordinary Christianity restore. Anyone, any trespass. I just want to show you one cross-reference to show you how we are all supposed to relate to one another. It's not just a few. It's the body working together. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.4 in your Bible, or you can see it up here, 1, 3, and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts. Now watch this. God comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in what? Any affliction. So as God has designed it, the comfort which I received from God when my father died or when I was in a situation and somebody came along and they comforted me, that comfort should be what allows me to go to anyone and comfort them in any affliction. Now, if you go back to one six one, read that again. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, any, if anyone is caught in any trespass, so we should be able to walk with one another through anything. And what do we do? How do we do that? He doesn't leave us hanging in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. We bear one another's burdens. This is carrying a heavy load. This is not a sin. It's not a sin. A burden is not a sin. He was very, uh, Paul was very good about using the word trespass and burden. Those are two different things. A trespass is a sin. It's something, it's a sin of commission. It's a sin of omission. It's a sin of the heart. A burden is not a sin, and we must bear with each one of another's burdens. It's carrying a heavy load. It's, it's like last night, we went to a couple's house for dinner, and I walk in, and I see this big piece of furniture. And the wife says, you get to help my husband with this. You get to hear him help him bear this heavy load, which I was glad to do. Here's what bearing what, what we shouldn't get. Here's the attitude we shouldn't have. Notice this picture when it comes to bearing uh, heavy loads. That picture says, just because I have a truck doesn't mean I have to help you move. That's not a good attitude. I saw that sticker in the midst of three or four moves a couple months ago, and I just had to pass it on. That is not a good attitude. That's not a Christian burden-bearing attitude, is it? You won't see that on any one of your bumpers. Just because I have a truck doesn't mean I have to help you move. No, we're to carry each other's heavy loads. And what? And thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So we're not under the law that's condemning, 
us, we're under the law of Christ. That law is the self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. If you want to know what true love is, true love is not primarily emotional, though emotions are involved. True love is the self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. And that is love. That is a loving thing. We're to carry each other's loads. And Paul goes on in verse 3, and here's probably one of the most convicting verses of this section. For if anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. What Paul's saying here is, if you don't think you have a burden to carry, you're you're deceiving yourself. And if you don't think you need to let others know about your burden to carry, you're deceiving yourself. Do you suffer from the helper syndrome, beloved brothers and sisters who love the Lord Jesus like I do? Do you suffer from the helper syndrome, always there to help others, but never seeking it yourself? Do you? I'm just asking. It's a good question. See, I'm, a, I'm afraid there's a lot of us who, who have that syndrome. The first thing we need to do, like we learned today, is we ask the Holy Spirit for help. And according to Galatians 2, we ask one another for help. This lady, Jackie Knapp, who's the Associate Campus Ministry Director um, at a certain school, said, as I've moved through my ministry, I only let very specific people into my life in ways I controlled. I was leading and counseling many women, yet I was not asking or even admitting that I needed support to do my job well. I was living in a way that acted as if I was above the need for grace and the, and the counsel and ministry that I was so willing offering to others. I also didn't really think I needed help from God. I would passionately tell you I did and give you lots of verses about how I could do anything without, I couldn't do anything without him. But I wasn't actually living like that, that I needed help unless things really got really, really, really bad. So I'm here to encourage you. If you don't ask people to help, the Bible calls us. Bear one another's burdens. How do we know that we have burdens? Sometimes they're obvious. Sometimes they come in tragedies of life. They're easy to see. We don't miss those. Other times they're not so obvious. And so if you're not letting us know, Paul says you're deceiving yourself. You're thinking you're something when you're really nothing. You and I cannot bear heavy burdens alone. It's not an easy process. But what keeps us, she goes on to say in this article, what keeps us from asking for help Here's what she says. One of the biggest turning points was seeing that my refusal to ask for help is pride. It's not selflessness as she had deceived herself into thinking. Pride causes you to accept more responsibility than you can bear. Arrival allows you to assign, and she goes on to say this, and I think this is fascinating. This is where um, I was just visiting with a young man this morning And he gave me a great insight. I said, we've been asked to say, why don't we disciple? And he says, you know why? It's because I I fear that I might mess up in front of this young kid, and then that young kid might get the wrong impression. And I said to him, brother, that's exactly, when you mess up in front of my son? And then I asked him, I said, what are you going to do? And and he said, well, then I'll just, you know, ask for forgiveness, tell him I'm sorry. And I'm saying, when you do that, my friend, that's better than any time that you've done it all right because you're showing him 
in humility, I'm not perfect, but Jesus is, and I need to ask for your forgiveness. That models for my son. And so the exact opposite is true, is what I was showing him. And here's what she says. The ironic thing is that once I have people helping me, praying for me regularly, and once I truly believe that I need God to intervene work, I actually love people better. It's that I'm giving people something I am actually experiencing and living rather than something I'm robotically reciting. It's fascinating when you start asking for help. And I'm, telling, I'm asking if there's something going on in your personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's something going on with your marital relationship or your, your parenting relationships, if there's something going on at your work, if there's something going on in your neighborhood, if there's just something weighing you down, let us know. We got to know. I'll just admit to you, I'm not that smart. When, when, when you let me know, I know. You don't let me know, I don't get it sometimes. I'm sorry. I'm a sinner and I'm just, I'm, I can be involved in myself. But if you come and you say, I need you to help me bear this burden, we can work on it together. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And for anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. You and I need to ask for help. But, and Paul gives the, the, uh, the other side of this. So if that's corporate responsibility or corporate accountability, he says this, but each one must examine his own work. And then all reason for boasting in regard to himself alone. That doesn't mean we get to boast about that. It just means we're taking care of what we're personally responsible for and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. You must also carry your own weight. He uses two uh, different words here on load and burden. The burden is something that's heavy and it is not, you're not able to bear it on your own. I.e. this stage that I stand on, if it did not have wheels, There's not a person in this room who could pick it up. And so you would need to have help. That's a burden. Now, this one that says each one will bear his own load, that's a backpack. That's what you put on your back. That's what you and I have to carry through every day. And so it's, I put it on my back and I say, today, I am a Christian. I am a husband. I am a father. I am a pastor. And then ad infant item, coach, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I've the Lord's called me to carry those things. Not on my own power. But I have my own responsibility. And so as you can see in these f- five verses, there's, there's give and take. It's a tennis match. I hit it to you, you hit it back to me. But it's a friendly tennis match. I'm not trying to beat you and you're not trying to beat me. We're just out having a good time. I remember the first time I played with tennis with my wife, who is a former tennis player. She was just wanting to have a good time. I was not. And God humbled me because she is a good tennis player. And so in her having a good time, she would knock it to that corner then stand in the middle, to which I would run, 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 run over, hit it back to her. Then she would knock it to that corner, perfect backhand, over to that corner. And I'm just going back and forth, back and forth. I'm like, you're not supposed to be this good. But she was wanting to have a a friendly tennis match. We're just hitting, we're not playing. But some of us go into relationships where we want to win the set. Six love. 
It's like an intertwined rope, right? You have one rope, it's not as strong, but you take and you intertwine it. It's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Paul says it like this in Philippians. It's not up there, just listen, it just came to me. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. So others first. Yet, do not merely look out for your own personal interest. Still, you have your own responsibilities to bear, but also for the interest of others. It's back and forth. It's give and receive. We're personally responsible. We're corporately accountable. Why didn't this happen in a church? Why didn't this happen in businesses? Why doesn't this happen in families? Why doesn't this happen in interpersonal relationships? Can I tell you something I've learned from a uh, an author I like, Patrick Lencioni, calls it the five dysfunctions of a team. I'm calling it the five dysfunctions of any church. Why don't we do this? Why aren't we more involved in each other's life? Why are we so uber private? Why don't people really know us? First and foremost, there's this inattention to results. We're not, we've become so far on the grace side, we're not really concerned about holiness in one another's lives. We don't really care, bottom line, for our brothers and sisters, and so there's this inattention to results. But that's just the peak. If this is a pyramid, that's just the peak. What's underneath that? It's the avoidance of accountability. It's, it's, it's either not even having accountability in your own life, or it's going about it in a way that's comical with Mr. Accountability. But that's really not the real issue. Because if you keep going down the pyramid, so if the peak is inattention to results, that we want to be holy before a holy God, because without purity, no one will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. We avoid accountability with one another. We really do think we can live it on our own. And we're products of our culture. I want us to change that culture. We're products of, I can handle it. I don't need your help. There's lack of commitment. There's lack of commitment to getting into the messy parts of each other's lives. It's what we talked about in Sunday school. It's why we don't do, it's part of why we don't do discipleship. It's just messy. And I'm too busy. And if people really knew me, right? This is what we don't articulate as believers, but if people really knew me, they wouldn't really like me. And I'm here to say, we all love each other. If we really knew you, I would argue we would love you even more. Even more. You mean to tell me that if I confess my sins uh, to somebody, they're not going to reject me, that they're going to love me even more? I would hope so. I can't make that promise. I've had several gentlemen come to me and they've said, this is what I'm struggling with. And I didn't go, stay away, stiff arm. I can think of three guys in particular coming to me and they share. These are, these are the meetings after the meetings. These are the ones on the front porch uh, that they're unscripted. These are the ones where they, a guy's coming and he's opening up your heart and I love them even more. Not less. 
That's the culture I want to create. That's the culture that I want to create in my own life, with my own family, and in this church, a culture where um, we're not hiding. We're asking for help. It's commitment. But why we don't commit is there's this fear of what I'll call constructive conflict. There's this fear of it's just, it might be a little awkward. It might be a little, um, I just love what you did this morning. Mr. Rit Miller, because it was just kind of lovingly in your face. And nobody, I don't think anybody walked out of Sunday school going, I can't believe he said that, but he was just kind of, it's, it's up front. It's not about you. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. I needed to hear that. It's, why doesn't discipleship, it's not about me. Thank you. He didn't fear the constructive conflict. And I think we fear that because we, we, we fear that in our lives. But really, that's not even the root. If the peak is inattention to results and it's this avoidance of we don't really have it, true accountability, it's because we lack that sacrificial commitment to one another because we don't. We fear this constructive conflict. Here, here's the real reason. It's the absence of trust. It's the absence of trust. Those three guys that came to me trusted me. They trusted me. I have a guy. Talk to him every week. You know what he says? You told me to ask you, so I'm going to ask you. Love it. He just calls me. We have a same temperament, same type personality. And he calls me. And there's no, uh, you know, he doesn't, he knows with me, and this is different, so it's, different with you. I'm just sharing you with you my own personal life. He doesn't have to call and uh, go through three or four paragraphs of how are you, you know, are the flowers okay? He just said, hey, uh, you asked me to ask you, so I'm going to ask you. I love that because you get right to the point. There's no, is it coming? Where are you coming with it? It's a question. End with some questions. If the text is Galatians 5, 26 through 6, 5, the truths are, the root of it is humility. We've got to get over ourselves. We cannot be prideful, either by arrogance or provoking. Yet, and I would say for most of us in this envying, in this pity, get over that. That's the root. The fruit will come where we bear one another's burdens, yet we carry our own load, and it's a back and forth. It's give and take. The truth of the text applied to our life is this. Are we contributing members of a church family? Notice the words he's using. I'm just going with the Bible. I'm not trying to read into it. I'm trying to take from it. He says, brethren, are you a part of this church family? Are you a part of the messiness? Are you a part of all that's good and all that's bad and all that can be improved and all that's great of this church family? Are you coming and kind of taking when it's good for you? That's all I'm asking. Just want you to wrestle with that. I'm not, I'm not trying to say you're right or wrong or indifferent. I'm just wanting you to wrestle with that in your own life. If not, why not? Are you in an accountability relationship? Uh, I know pastors. I love having um, plurality of elders at a local church. I know there are churches out there where their elders are across the country. Well, you can always put on your best face when your elder is, is across the country. You can't when they're right here. Praise the Lord for that. It's a good thing. 
Do people really know you? And you may have judged you. Yes, I am. I am. Perfectly? No. Love that. You're not called to perfection. You're just called to do it. Love it. Thank you. I'm going to use that in a sermon. Okay. Just did. Was it? It was good. I wrote it down. Where is it? It's coming. There it is. We're not called to do it perfectly. We're called to do it. I like it. Thank you. Are you both carrying a load? That is, do you wear your backpack? And then are you bearing the burdens of others? And if you have burdens in your life, have you asked somebody for help? Here's what it could be. Man, my life is chaotic right now. Would you pray for me? Or my life is so busy right now. Can I get a break? You know, one of the things, he's not here today. I just, I'll just say, I love Sheldon Coons because he came up to me and he goes, man, I'm going 100 miles an hour. I need a break. Okay, you got it. Done deal. No arguments, no nothing. He just was honest. He gets a break. It's good. Are you carrying so many burdens in your life that you're not letting anybody know? I let my wife know things, uh, but am I letting other people in on my life so that they can share, they can really sense what's going on in the pastor's heart. I've had a few gentlemen listen to a particular sermon. Now they, they, get a, they get a feel for it and they understand. And so they're helping me share that burden and they encourage me weekly. Have you seen someone caught or almost putting their foot in the trap and do you stop to help? Or do you just think that's the pastor elder's uh, responsibility or I'll help him when it gets worse? I mean, there's this idea of restoration. That's what Paul talks about. But there's also formative uh, counsel. That's what you do on the front end before you before the bone breaks, right? My kids, I'm I'm into both restoration and formative discipline. Uh, with my kids, they wear flip flops. Love flip flops. Flip flops were not made unless you're a Tara Umara Indian with straps. Not made to run in. They're just not good for you to run in. You you twist your ankle. And so I say, kids, if you're going to go to the park, it's better to wear these shoes. And then when they go to the park and they're wearing their flip-flops and they twist your ankle, then we restore. It's, it's both and. But do, you do, do we do that in our spiritual relationships with one another? Do we see people heading down the wrong road and we're willing to step into their life? Or do we take that hands-off approach because, quote, I might not be good enough to talk to him about that. Paul says, if anyone is caught in any trespass, I'm just going back to the text. We who are walking in an ordinary Christian life moved by the Spirit should help. And so what I want to do is I want to create a different culture. Church cultures across this country. A couple weeks ago, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jim, for giving me a week off. Went to a different church. It's the same across the country. We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We should have nothing to fear. And yet we live uber private lives and we put on our best faces. And we, in some areas, I won't say all, in some areas we don't have true community. We don't. I mean, the one thing he did get right was reading that book. First thing you do is you admit you have a problem. This is one area, I'm not saying it's a huge thing, it's just one area we can work on as a church. 
create a different culture where we carry our own loads, we bear one another's burdens, and we make a safe place for people to struggle well. I, I want this, and if it's not, then it'll start with me, and then it'll go to the elders, and I want it to trickle down. I want this to be a place where you could in, would and could invite your homosexual friends, where they would hear the truth, but they would hear like it was today. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Now, you don't go down the whole Dr. Pepper theme, but it's all, we're sinners, and we need a Savior. Create that culture where people want to come, where you want to invite them. Uh, create a culture where we're going to hold each other up with high standards of holiness. There are some churches, praise the Lord, some do it wrong, but I, I've read there are some that do it right. They renew their church membership every year in a formal family meeting where they read their covenants together and they re-sign it and say, I'm going to take care of you this year. And each year that person gets a chance. If they don't want to renew it, they don't have to, but they go in detail. And I'm afraid if I even mention that, you mean you want me to sign something? Because when you put your name on it, you're saying, I'm going to do this. But what if I fail? You're going to fail anyway. <laughs> and you're going to grow from it. But I don't want to fail. Neither do I. I'll just give you one example and then I'm done. Started this class back in February and I couldn't do any pull-ups. I could do one or two. You could probably do like 80 right now and just rip them off. Yeah, you. I couldn't do, I could do like four or five. And I had a choice to make. I'm going to go to this class and I'm going to be embarrassed about what I can't do and not do it and never get stronger. Or I'm going to get up there and do a couple. <laughs> spit in the trash can and not worry about what other people think of me. And over time, with the aid of other others and a constant repetition and not worrying about it, now we both can do eight in a row. And we can help others who can only do two or three. Right? That's just an example. Far greater to be holy before a holy God than to do pull-ups. Amen? And we need each other's help. We need to walk together, drink water together. Some of you don't drink coffee. You're just water. Okay. Play golf together, run together, talk together, memorize scripture together, sh share life together. And when we fail, you go, you, you dropped it, dude, but I'm right here with you. Let's go together. Father, might you use this as a, as a wake-up call for some? Might you use this as, a, as an affirmation for others? And might all of us walk away from here changed, willing in humility to ask for help, willing in humility to give help. Let us be different than the world around us. Father, we pray a special prayer for Garrett.
pray even now as he's probably asleep, would you heal his body? Thank you for him being here today, being ready in season and definitely for him out of season. Make him well. Thank you for all my brothers and sisters here who love you. Help us all to get over those fears that we have and let us be a community marked by humility and responsibility. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.